Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and goldfish hoping to be cast as extras in the new Finding Dory movie. It's Thursday at 3 o'clock, and I it's time too. for Tea with BVP. Hey, everyone out there. I'm your host, BVP, a.k.a. Bill Van Patten, international superstar and diva of SLA. Once again, we are live from the second floor of Wells Hall at Michigan State University campus in East Lansing, Michigan. I wish I could say it was sunny today, but it's not. We're having really crappy, like, Lucky. return of winter weather. With me are two people who need no introductions whatsoever and unfortunately have no titles like mine, but I'm going to give them some one of these days because they deserve it. Walter Hopkins and Angelica Kramer. Big round of applause for you guys. Yay! Woo-hoo, go us! Say hi, Yay. guys. Hello, everybody. Hello. Well, I just got back from another trip. Ask me where I went. Where did you go? go? I was in St. Louis. St. Louis, Missouri. I was invited to give a talk at Washington University, which I loved. I love the campus. I've been there before a long time ago, but campus is beautiful. The students were great. The hosts were wonderful. They did a really nice itinerary. Just really, really nice. I did a talk on Tuesday, and then I did a workshop. Guess what out there, people, on communication? <laughs> I did a workshop on communication on Wednesday morning, and it all went really well. I was just really happy with just the thing about it. But, you know, whenever you travel like that, you got to do some homework, right? Mm-hmm. So I looked up some fun facts about St. Louis and Missouri. Would you like to hear these, Walter? I would love to hear them. Angelic, would you like to hear these? Absolutely. I, I, I boiled them down to three because I think these three are the funnest ones about St. Louis and Missouri. You ready for this? Here's number one. The first successful parachute jump to be made from a moving airplane was made by Captain Barry at St. Louis in 1912. Wow. I don't know what he saw out of that plane that wanted to jump out and go down to St. Louis, but that's a pretty that's pretty hmm. impressive. So, but you know, Charles Lindbergh, there's or a lot strange of strange if you Charles Lindbergh, there's a lot of a, <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine maybe maybe he missed his connection and it was like, "Oh, I got to get out here." Do you remember that episode of the Golden Girls when that guy jumped out of the plane? "Oh, this is Beaver Falls." He puts his pressure on and jumps out. You didn't see that episode of the Golden Girls? Well, I don't have them memorized oh, like you do. Right, anyway, <laughs> sorry. Okay, so here's the second here's the second fun fact about St. Louis and Missouri. At the St. Louis World's Fair, and this is, okay, all of you out there listening, this is relevant to this show. Remember what this show is called. At the St. Louis World's Fair in 1904, Richard Blackden served tea with ice and invented iced tea. Huh. So iced tea came out of St. Louis. Wow. Should rename the show Iced Tea with a BVP. Well, with that, I mean, you can have iced tea. I don't care if you don't have hot tea. Anyway, okay, so I thought that was a fun fact. And here's our third fun fact that I found out about St. Louis and Missouri. And everybody should know. I'm from California, and I knew this. Okay. The most powerful earthquake to strike the United States occurred in 1811, sent it in New Madrid. They don't say Madrid. New Madrid, Missouri. New Madrid. The quake shook more than 1 million square miles and was felt as oh. far away as 1,000. Thousand miles. That's wow, crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah so, uh, I mean, you know, when they built that arch thing, I always wondered about that. Why they built that there? Because in California, we have all this earthquake prevention. You know, we call it earthquake construction uh, codes and things. And that's why. It, remember the 1989 earthquake in California, in San Francisco, my hometown, and the Ar- 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 uh, Embarcadero collapsed. It was interesting because the Ar- Ar- Embarcadero collapsed, part of the Bay Bridge collapsed, but most of the buildings stayed intact. Everything that was modern. Shook a little bit, but nothing collapsed. It really shows the standards of earthquake construction in California. So anyway, so I did not, I mean, I knew that about the earthquake, but I thought I'd share that with our audience if they did not know that. So there you go. St. Louis, Missouri. Nice. Really nice. If you, if audience out there, if you have not been to St. Louis, go. You'd have a fun time. And visit the people at Washington University. They're great. 
Okay, I got a couple of things to tell everybody before we get started. Um, we have a new contest going on the month of April. Do you guys know what the contest is? Yes. What is it? Memes. What's a meme? A BVP meme. Uh, what's a meme? Yeah, just oh, define meme. We looked up the definition. We did. I forget what it said. Though. See, this is like talk about implicit learning, right? <laughs> you know what a meme is, but you can't say what you can't articulate what it is, right? Yeah. It's there a you go. picture with words on it. No, not necessarily. <laughs> well, it's something that already exists, and you repurpose it. Right. Well, <laughs> here's here, here's sure. something. You got a computer in front of you. You could Google meme real quick and see, see what it is. Uh, but anyway, so we have a meme contest going on. This got started by, was it Chris? I think it got started by one yeah, of my I fans, so, Chris. Yeah. Um, and so if you go to teawithbvp.com, Luca has put up the site uh, or the information for doing a meme contest. Chris had sent in a couple of photos with me with little tags in them, with little things. And they're pretty quite, they're quite funny. So I think he's got some examples up there, Luca does. But anyway, so if you want to um, do the meme contest, uh, we're accepting those the month of April. And then we will look at those at the end of the month. And we'll make an announcement at the beginning of May about a winner or winners for the meme contest. So go to teawithbbp.com. And look that information up. Next week, we, we last week, we got the last uh, contestants, the entries in for the Get Your Tea Swag On. So after the show today, we're actually going to look at those and, and make our determinations. So next week, we will be announcing the winners of Get Your Tea Swag On. So don't miss that. Make sure you, you listen in next week and find out who won that. Okay, I'm ready. Definition of meme. Me too, What's, me okay. too. A humorous image, video, video piece of text, etc., etc., that is copied... Often with slight variations. And spread rapidly by internet users. Period. There you go. I particularly like the one of your hair. Oh, my God. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. What is it? Some, for some of you out there who don't know, when I used to do stand-up comedy, I bleached my hair because it kind of looked fun on the stage and stuff. And so I had this, like, Billy Idol hair with little black roots, but, you know, spiky blonde. And so was it Chris who did it or somebody else who did it? I think it was Chris. I think it was Chris. I think so, yeah. So Chris put on there... Um, SLA is like Bill's hair. Is that what he said? It evolves. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. No, SLA research is like Bill's hair. It evolves. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, and I thought, on fire. On fire. When I first saw that. This guy is on fire. Okay. All right. Okay, this week, we do not have a theme show. This is our feel free to call in about anything show. No theme, no topic. You can call in about language acquisition. You can call in about language teaching. You can call in about language. Your favorite topic, communication, if you want to call in about that. If you want to call in about your hair, your makeup, your fashion, your home decor, we don't care. We want to hear from you. Just call in. We're here for you. We're like the Walmart of call-in shows. We have it all for you. So call in and we are... Um, waiting for you. Uh, we've got people calling in already, but let me remind everybody um, how to reach us. Uh, the phone number is 517-884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. Emma Dunn is handling the phones again this week, so she's waiting for you to call her. Um, and uh, 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 Angelica is handling Mixler, and Walter's looking at um, twithbbp.com, or their Gmail account, I should say, and some other things. But we want you to call in. Again, the number is 517-884-4321. And let's give a shout out to Eric who called. Was it last week? Mm -hmm. Eric was a little shy, but he was nervous about calling in. Eric, it was, I was proud of you for calling in. So um, you too can conquer your nerves and call in. Remember, we're nice people. Have we ever yelled at anybody yet on the show? No. You've yelled at me. I yelled at <laughs> yeah, you. No kidding. <laughs> and, and you've yelled at Luca and Angelica's yelled at us. And you know, no. But we never yell at our callers. We love our callers. And we think all your questions are great. And we think the interactions are great. So we would never, never, never do anything to embarrass you or, 
or well, we try not. I, I might embarrass you, but not for the reasons that that you think. <laughs> and don't forget our quizzes. We have our SLA Challenge quiz, and we have our Diva Challenge quiz. You call in and take one of those and win a nice prize. And so call in and let Emma know uh, what it is you want to do if you want to take the SLA Challenge quiz or the Diva Challenge quiz. Okay, so it looks like we have a caller already online. We have Robbie, I think, from Minnesota. Do we have Robbie on Minnesota on the line? Yeah, hello. Hey, Robbie, how hello, you doing? Hello, Robbie. Hi, hi, Walter. Hi, uh, hola a todos. Okay, well, pues gracias. <laughs> Robbie, what part of Minnesota are you calling from? I'm calling from Long Lake, but I live in Hopkins, Minnesota. Weird. Wow. Walter oh, Hopkins. That's, Walter, that's like Walter's it. hometown. I know. I know. It's named after him. That's it's right. His, <laughs> it's his Tokayo. It's his Tokayo hometown. For those of you out there who don't know Spanish, Tokayo is when you share the name with somebody. So, like, like Bill Clinton is my Tokayo, for example. Um, uh, so Walter's that town you're at is Walter's Tokayo town. Cool. So there you go. Um, yeah. So you know, I'm going to be in Minnesota in. I think, is it October? You are for yeah. what? For your um, annual language conference. Okay, I will be there. Now. I think it's October. Is it October or September? No, I'm going to be. Yeah, in it's usually October. I'm going to be in Colorado in September. And I'm going to be in Minnesota in October. Well, great, Robbie. So, what are you calling about? What do you want to talk about? Okay, so I waited for an Ask Us Anything Thursday because uh, I have been showing Destinos in my classes for the past 13 years, um, and I had a couple questions about that. Well, I know you've perhaps addressed it, but I am behind on listening to Tea with BBP. So, well, we won't fault yeah. you for that, Robbie. Go ahead. What's your question? What's your okay? Comment? So, Bill, what was your job on a daily basis during filming? Oh my God, I was on set. Um, I, the producer director was supposed to be in charge of aesthetic and I was in charge of all content. And so I had to make sure there was no deviations from the script and that people were reading their lines correctly and I would have to coach the actors on how to read their lines so they wouldn't read them too fast or too, you know, so they could speak at a level more appropriate for language learners, for example, and how to get their drama in while they're doing it. You know, that's part of their job as actors. But, um, and then sometimes, actually, uh, once the producer or director got used to me, at first we clashed a little bit, um, but then he realized I knew a lot more about <laughs> this kind of stuff than he imagined. I had a very quick learning curve. He okay. got sick one time and I actually directed in an episode. So, wow. I, yeah, I was, okay. I was nervous as all heck. But yeah, so I did. I, did, okay, I, one, I was like the Barbara Streisand. I was even, I started, I was I actually had a bit part in a couple episodes. Did you see me? Well, I'm actually showing episode 42 tomorrow in which uh, Guillermo does appear. Uh, yours truly. That's me in my younger days. When they called me, <laughs> um, when they called me Delta <laughs> Don. He appears in Sony Viento as well. well. Two other questions, but you can just pick one. Uh, what was a one-time or recurring challenge during filming, other than the death of uh, Augusto Benedico? Or um, who chose Raquel's wardrobe, and did they know at the time that it looked so ridiculous? <laughs> 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 I can tell you both of those things real quickly. Um, the most recurring challenge on the set at the beginning was, again, the director and I uh, getting our boundaries about who sure. was in charge of what. Um, because I have a very strong, uh, I make a joke about being the Barbara Streisand, who, by the way, is going to be the topic of our Diva Quiz today, Bar oh, I, the Barbara Streisand of Destinos, because I had to be, it was my first project, I was young, I wanted to be involved in everything. Um, because, you know, I have the aesthetic, I knew a lot. And so we, we figured our banners out. That was the, uh, that was the, uh, uh, the early challenge. And, and, and we found our way quickly, and, and Fred and I remained good friends after that, so that was mm -hmm. never really a problem after that. So that was the initial challenge. Um, as far as Raquel's wardrobe, Liliana's wardrobe, uh, actress Liliana Booth, yeah. Liliana's wardrobe, <clears throat> uh, that was uh, uh, one of the executive associate producers who was in charge of that. And there were a couple times, just so you know, Robbie, that I, even though I was not in charge of aesthetics, said, okay, she cannot go on the set in that outfit. 
And so, um, so some of the things you see were actually redresses or redos of the outfit wow, she was going to okay. appear in. So yeah, of something more of something more ridiculous. And the only one I have I really regrets about was that one. She looked like a bullfighter with those shoulder pads. You know which one I'm talking about? There um, were often shoulder pads. Yeah, well, it was the, it was the late <laughs> '80s, early '90s. Like Dynasty was the craze, uh, right? right? So, in fact, a, a, a student in Washington sent me a poster board thing that he had done for a project for class they had done destinos and it was he had he was a big fan of dynasty so he did this poster board cutout kind of thing called dynastinos and so he had all the characters from dynasty cut out and doing things in in this display but speaking spanish and being the characters from destinos pretty funny so oh wow yeah anyway so no those are the answers to your questions okay thank you so much well you're welcome tell are you still using it you said uh, yeah, actually, yeah. Okay, well, tell your class I said hi, or your classes I said hi, and I hope everybody's learning a lot of Spanish from Destinos. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, well, great, Robbie. Thanks a lot. See Thank you, you, everybody. See you in October. You bet. Okay, bye-bye. 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 I like Bye-bye. that. You know, I used to, I had to, t- I shouldn't have, I, had, I used to have a love-hate relationship with Destinos because it took, nobody knows, it took four years of my life to do that. And it was so, it, 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 it did my relationship slash marriage in, it did, it, it almost cost me my job. It just, it really did me in because it was so, 52 episodes of television is a lot of work. And um, when you're the writer and you're on set and you're this and that, blah, blah, and you're away from your home so long. Um, so were you on leave during that time? or Partially I was on leave. Mm-hmm. And then the year that we were editing the episodes, I'd had to fly to Boston on Thursday night, spend Friday, Saturday, Sunday in the editing suite, fly back Monday morning to be back in Illinois for teaching wow. and all my other duties. I did that for a year. I had an apartment in Boston. It was just really, really hard. But anyway, so I had a love-hate relationship with him. I thought, oh my God, I'm going to die and people are going to forget to cremate me and they're going to bury me and they're going to put on my headstone, here lies Mr. Destinos. <laughs> but now I'm over it. Now I'm, I'm still very proud of Destinos. I'm very proud of Sullivan. I'm proud of all my things. Liaison. I'm proud of everything I've done. I have no regrets. Regrets, I have a few. But then too few to mention. Exactly. But then again. I did what I had to do. Okay. Do we have another? <laughs> I think we have another caller coming in. Um, we have... Emma, who is giving me a signal that just a second someone will be on the phone. I think she's, we have some funky connections when people call in and cross each other and, and, and um, connect that sometimes people get caught off or just slows the phone lines down. So bear with us. We've put in our former request um, to maintenance and facilities so we can get new phone lines and get things done. And um, so I think that we will get new phones if not um, soon, at least for the coming year when we start our show up again in the fall. So, Okay, so I think we have our new caller on the phone. We have Pete from Atlanta. Hey, Pete from Atlanta. Hey, Bill. How are you doing today? Hey, I think I recognize your voice, Pete. Your voice, yes. Pete. Do you want to be, yes, ide- you do you want to be identified out loud who you are? Yeah. I mean, I'm Pete Swanson at Georgia State University. I'm also the... The current president of Axel. Yay! Yay! And one of my favorite people. How are you people. guys doing today? We're great. great, Pete. How are you doing? We're doing great. It's springtime down here. The whole place is covered in pollen. Oh, my oh God. No. I'd, I'd be sneezing up a storm if I were down there visiting you. So. Oh, man, it's raining, and the streets are yellow, just this yellow stream going away. Oh, <laughs> I, I remember some of those from, like, Austin and some other place I used to live. Yes, I remember those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's up, Pete? What are you calling about? Well, I'm going to call and talk to you today a little bit about dual language immersion. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just curious um, on, on, your, on your thoughts of dual language immersion um, that are happening in a lot of elementary schools these days, and then on language transfer. I was going to get, the, get, get an opinion on um, your thoughts of, you know, we've got a lot of Spanish-speaking students here in the United States, a lot of French speakers as well, but 
Um, the language transfer, if we were to work with these kids in their native tongue, um, what would be the effects as they um, start moving through the, the grade system um, with their uh, literacy skills in, in uh, their second language in English? Okay, well, let's, let's, let's um, break this down because, you know, you're like, I won't make the joke. Like, you want a lot for five bucks, Pete. But okay. Uh, <laughs> but I'm all about that. Yeah, you do. You know, you know me, don't you? Okay. Um, I actually don't know a lot about dual immersion. I mean, I know some things about it, um, and the stuff I've read about it, and the colleagues who work in dual immersion I've talked to. It's um, it's pretty cool stuff, actually, when you think about it. Um, and I, what I like about dual immersion is I'm a big as a heritage speaker myself. I'm a big promoter of dual immersion programs because they help heritage speakers keep languages. I mean, ACTFL, as you know, as president, you know, we want to promote, we always promote foreign language learning, that term I hate, no offense, ACTFL, but we always promote foreign, when we have millions of speakers of language in the United States that we don't promote as, as heritage languages. So dual immersion is one way to keep, help heritage languages, whether it's Russian or it's Chinese or Spanish or Arabic, for example, to keep those language skills and keep that language knowledge intact while they're learning English and vice versa. And also people who don't speak those languages to get those because they're in context with those people. So depending on what the immersion environment. So dual immersion actually is a very good thing. I think it's good for the economy. I think it's good for our, our policy and good for the government. So um, there's lots of good things about it. Um, and it also is good for us at the university because when we get when people decide to go to the university, we got people who can place into much higher skills at the university, oh, exactly. which is great. And we like exactly. that. And we can then we can push those skills along another direction. So we're real, really happy about that. Okay, um, but about the transfer stuff, I have a question for you. Are you talking about language transfer? Or are you talking about transfer of skill? Or are you talking about or both? Yeah, kind of both there, to tell you the truth. You know, we're looking at, um, you know, a large number of, um, say, Spanish speakers, for example. But there's a large number of, of French speakers here in Atlanta as well. These, um, the kids coming in that are speaking French at home or speaking Spanish at home, and um, when they get into school, of course, it's all English, as you can imagine, and, they're, and some of them are struggling quite a bit, and there's a, a belief that if we were to work with them in their, in their native tongue, in French or Spanish, for example, um, for a few years, and then work with them in English, right, um, at the same time that, those, that the, the, the literacy skills would transfer, you know, that they'd be able to pick up a second language pretty quickly. Well, in terms of literacy, yeah. The, the, the skills don't transfer right away. Um, but but right. there's a foundation laid so that the acquisition of the new literacy skills happens quicker than it would if they didn't have that. So, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, we're, I'm very excited to see what's going to come out of Alaska. The very first class of dual language immersion students in Russian mm -hmm. are set to graduate next month, I believe, in Anchorage. And they've been doing this for 12 years. And so I'm very, I'm very curious to see uh, what comes out of that. Right, right. Um, I remember some of the early research on immersion. They weren't dual, well, I guess they were quasi-dual immersion or immersion programs in California back in the 70s. It was real interesting because when those people got out of those programs, nobody knew what to do with them because nobody had, was prepared for people coming out of language, uh, lang uh, you know, school systems with high language skills, and they got to the university and they didn't know what to do with them. So, exactly. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how, how they handle that in Alaska, and, and if, assuming those kids go on the university, or if they go somewhere else, you know, in the in the other forty nine states. But um, exactly, yeah, so yeah. so the skills the skills don't transfer per se, but you lay a foundation so that as the new skill skills get acquired, they get acquired faster if they didn't have the skills. So I guess that's a kind of a transfer. Um, as far as, uh, and I would, I, you know, I'm a big advocate of going ahead and letting people learn things in their first language at the beginning and moving them into the second language or their non-native language. 
um, simply because cognitively you don't want to delay people. If if you if you let people start to learn things, content matter in their first language right away, then the, then the, you're also laying a cognitive foundation for stuff for learning later as they're starting to pick up the second language. And I think that people fail to understand that that even though kids might be in an emergency situation or dual emergency situation where they're 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 being they're using their first language. In the context of being in the United States, there's a tremendous social pressure from their peers to learn English. So they're going to learn some English outside of the class because of the social problem. We've seen this time and time again in literature. I mean, as far back as the 70s and 80s on this. Um, and I mean, one of my favorite books is, is about a, a book that was published by a, a company now defunct. Addison Wesley was published. Uh, the, the company was out of Massachusetts. It was about conversations with Miguel and Maria. And it was about these two kids in these... Uh, quasi-immersion environments in English and how they were learning all their English on the playground even though some of their classes were in Spanish. And it was a really interesting thing to see their English language skills develop outside the classroom that then the teachers were able to bring in when they started to, not mainstream them, but that then build the English skills when they were moving them into English content classes as opposed to Spanish content classes. So I think we forget about the fact that kids outside of the classroom do a lot of language stuff too. Where they should be. Oh, they do. So, There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I, I don't think we should be afraid of the L1 at all in those kinds of programs. I don't either. I don't either. That's fantastic. That's good to hear. Yeah. Well, great, Pete. So, when am I going to see you again? Well, um, in June. June. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. For our our, yeah. our famous grant work is for you for you who don't know Pete's gonna have me slaving down in Atlanta for a week. <laughs> Another six of us are all gonna be down there just chained. Put to him to work, Pete. He needs to work harder. Exactly. Agreed. <laughs> hey, we've been working him weekly. We've been working the old boy Oh, it's weekly. been fun. It's, it's been fun. It's a great group. You've all, you all heard me talk about this teacher retention group. It's a really great group. I really like them a lot. So. All right, Pete. Well, I gotta let you go because I got other people here waiting to call in. There, the the phone calls are lining up. So. Um, that was great. You guys have a good afternoon. Well, Thanks great. So much Thanks for calling, Pete. To Thanks, you. Pete. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. 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 I always love hearing from the actual people. I love Pete's a great guy. Have you ever met Pete? I Angelica? have not, no. Oh, he, you, we should invite him to Myola. He's great. He's just a great guy all around. Just really knowledgeable about his stuff. He does a lot of work with teacher education and teacher retention in particular, hmm. what keeps teachers in schools, what makes them leave, and so on. And that's the grant that I'm on with him and some other people. I don't normally do that kind of research, but... Um, I'm interested in it because I think it's a problem, mm -hmm. and so uh, and I'm doing the SLA part of the workshops that, that are helping the teachers. So great. Um, so yeah, he's he's just a great group of people. He's a great leader, great guy. Uh, Actful is lucky to have him. You hear that, Actful? You're lucky to have Pete Swanson. <laughs> Yay, Pete! Well, look at the phone calls are just coming in. My I gosh! I like it. Well, we We've are. We've got another caller. We got Frida. It sounds like we got a Frida from Glendale, California. Is that correct? We got a Frida yeah. on the line. Yes, that's right. Hey, Frida, how's Glendale these days? Oh, well, it's kind of overcast right now, but but it's pretty comfy. You know I'm from Northern <laughs> California, right? Yeah, I know. We have a kind of a, a little complex down here in Los Angeles, you know, the difference between San Francisco and L.A. I know. I grew up with that complex. Not that I had a complex, <laughs> because San Francisco always thought it was greater than L.A. <laughs> He's never talked about being from San Francisco before. Yeah, no, before, never. I don't think. <laughs> wow. <laughs> But, uh, but, yeah, so, I mean, there's always this north-south division of California. It should really be two states, but that's okay. So, yeah. And then particularly now with the senators, you know, somebody was complaining about this earlier, like, why does Wyoming or Rhode Island have two senators and California only has two as well when it's like a gazillion times more people in California? They have more mm -hmm. senators. The only way you get that is if you split the state up. But anyway, that's not what you're <laughs> calling about, Frida, is it? You're calling <laughs> no, about well, something else, correctly. huh? Okay. What do you <laughs> yeah. want to talk about? 
Well, um, I'm a I'm a, a Japanese uh, language acquisition facilitator in Yay. in an <laughs> independent school setting, and we have a lot of freedom with our curriculum. And one thing um, that I'm I'm trying to balance in my head uh, is I I understand about language acquisition and developing proficiency. I think I understand that, but I'm I'm trying to understand the the relationship between. Um, that and and skill building. What is the relationship between skill building and developing proficiency? Um, I want to I want to do set goals in my classroom, but um, I I struggle with how to set goals when I understand that language acquisition is totally a subconscious process. Right. So I'm just I'm as a as a you know well-meaning language acquisition facilitator, I'm trying to get my head around that relationship. I, I, I know about the actual can-do statements, and I think they have such practical value, but I don't know how to, how to reconcile the relationship between proficiency and skill building. Right. Well, first of all, I think you, proficiency, if you think of proficiency as um, skill building, I, I, would, I would consider those to be the same thing. I think what you're probably... Let me let me see if I can help you here. If I'm understanding, okay. I think your 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 what's the word cognitive dissonance is about the difference between acquisition and skill building. The sense of oh yeah, uh, okay. Uh, uh, and so helping them get language in their heads and so on, which presumably is a foundation for skill development. That way, we draw on this language when we're developing skill, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Steve Krashen has said this before, and it's not something I disagree with. I actually would say it myself. Is that sometimes you got to let skill emerge as the language progresses itself. It's just like the way little kids do. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, so whether it's speaking or reading or um, listening and writing and so on, um, you can, there's no, there's no bullet method, Frida, that I can tell you about. There's no quick fix to this. I think what you gotta do is play with it and say, okay, it looks like my students have this much language in their heads right now. I wonder what happened if I try X that's proficiency-oriented. What if I gave them this little speaking task, this little interaction task? I wonder how they would do with it. Or how about if I incorporate reading as part of my input activities, but I make, I make, I make the task they do with reading doable with the language. So maybe they're reading a little paragraph. Maybe the, you know, it's early in Japanese, but they're reading a little paragraph on, I don't know what, anime, or they're reading a little paragraph on you know, how to make sushi rice, because you have to add that right. vinegar, and you have to do this and do that. Whatever you want them to read, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what you get them to do with that reading is not, you know, do a lot of expressive language or language, but, you know, some things like, um, okay, you tell me, you know, whether these things are true or false based on what you just read. And you say something and they tell you in Japanese true or false. So you can, you can have activities that promote reading and promote certain kinds of writing and so on without taxing them beyond their current level or not taxing them too much, if that makes sense. And it's right. just something you got to play with. It's not something that anybody can really tell you. And so with speaking, which is a little harder because um, unlike reading where you can kind of take your time and go over sentences and writing, you can sit back and reflect on what you've written and so on. And of course, your Japanese is different, so you've got to deal with all the characters and things in a different writing right. system. But, but still, uh, but speaking is always a little bit different because it's real-time pressure, right? And mm-hmm. so um, that just do by feel. I just do it by feel. Let the speaking emerge. And they can always, and don't forget too, in classrooms, your best friend for failing students out is what I call the tripartite or the tripartite hierarchy of questions. There's yes, no questions, there's either or questions, 
and then there's open-ended questions, right? And yeah. so this gives you always a good sense of where students are. So uh, Walter's going to Walter's always my favorite student. So I'm going to ask Walter. <laughs> I'm going to ask. Sorry, Angelica. I'm going to ask Walter okay. a yes/no question in English, and he's going to pretend like he can't answer it very well. So I'm going to say, um, so Walter, um, where uh, where do you like to study? Uh, uh, so no, when you uh, study, do you study in the library or do you study at home? Oh, um, home. Home. Okay. So see what I just did there when I when I gave him the open ended question that was hard for him, I dropped down to the next level question, either or, that he could then answer. And if he can't answer that, if he's like still looking at me, I'd go, "Do you study at home?" And he'd go, yes, because he can do that. And so well, you use that hierarchy of questions that kind of probe your students to see what they can do at a given point in time. That helps you kind of figure out what kinds of tasks you can give them as well. And you can right. structure your tasks that way too. Anything you want them to do with each other in pair work, you can structure around it. So maybe they have, like for example, Walter and I are in a pair work together where we're trying to get information that we're going to use later on in class for something. I've got the questions in front of me, but, and they're designed for me to ask so that Walter at his level can answer them. So maybe they're all either or questions or maybe they're yes, no questions or those kind. See what I'm saying? So right. I think if you, use, right. if you think about probing your students that way, you can probably figure out where they are and, and then let the skill develop that way. And, uh, and that's, that uh, hierarchy of questions sounds like circling in TPRS, yeah. that technique. Yeah. And um, so the, with the, the can-do, actual can-do statements, sometimes I feel like I should be saying, okay, kids, this is what you're going to be like starting out. Like this is what we're going to be able to do, you know. And but I feel like that's kind of not um, authentic or not. I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And so I, I tend to kind of do what you're saying. I, I do develop their proficiency with those kind of questions. Mm -hmm. And then and then I feel like I, I have to. I feel like I compelled or I should be to show them what they have accomplished. I could. I feel like I should maybe whip out the can-do statements and. Well, By the way, this is what you can do now. Let, let me just tell you this, Frida, and, th and this is no comment on ACTFL, and you know, Pete Swanson uh -huh. just called this, no comment on ACTFL, there's no comment on my organization, I work with a lot of time, AATSP, there's no comment on the MLA, no comment on organization. But remember, you're a teacher in your classroom with your control, so no organization has control over you. You don't have to do can-do statements. You don't have to have a proficiency outcome. If your program is comfortable with what you're doing and the way you measure it, then that's what you do. Um... Unless, of course, your district or your school is using those metrics for some reason, then it's a different story. But if that's not the case, then, you know, you use those as a guide. You use those to inform your thinking. But it doesn't mean you have to do anything. Um, I mean, we use can-do statements here, but we don't use Actful's can-do statements. Walter and I made them up ourselves. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> to, to so fit our, it's not to, like they're sacred and I have to... No, no. In fact, no, our yeah. can-do can statements, for example, like, you, you know, the, the I mean... We made up ones that fit the context and content of our curriculum. In the broader picture of things, they do work for proficiency. And I think ACTFL would look at us and go, that's kind of an interesting way to do that. Um, and, and, and that's okay. Um, so, you know. And we made them very specific, too. That yeah. I can do this, 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 you know. The, yeah, like our, like our first can-do statement in 101, Spanish 101, says I can say when I get up, when I go to bed, and three things I do every day. Right, and then, yeah. and you can you can TPR that, you can TPRS that, and you can uh -huh. input that, yeah. and you can show schedule and do things. And at the end of your unit, you can say, "I want to see now if I can kind of see if they can work a little bit with this." And we we give it to them, and you know, and then we see how they do. So, right, that makes sense to me. Okay, yeah. yeah. So you can make can-do statements that are tied more to your curriculum. 
Um, it's actually the second one in Spanish. One one. Oh, so I, I never. You know how me. I, <laughs> I can't remember anything anymore. Frida's very lucky. I remember her name from sentence to sentence. Frida, Frida you're lucky. <laughs> thanks so much for calling, Frida. Yeah. Thank thanks. you very much for your time. I appreciate it. All right. Have fun. Bye, Frida. Thank you. Thank you. you. Bye bye. Bye bye. I love it. I love we've got people Japanese. Pete was talking about Russian yeah. Anchorage. I love all our different languages. Um, okay, I think uh, Emma's got some more people in the line. Um, while, oh, are we? is that person coming in already? Looks like okay. it. Okay. Um, I say like, because we could take a Mixler thing or we could take a tweet or something like that. We've got meantime. so many questions on email and so I many know. questions. I know. Mean, oh, my gosh. It's crazy. I'm not sure if we're going to get to any of the email questions or well, if we we're might. all going to be we'll see. live calling. Well, that's we might, fine. We might, have, we might have Emma do a moratorium for five or ten minutes while we do stuff. Okay. So we have MC Hammer from Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> is that, <laughs> just kidding. Is there an MC from Colorado on the line? There is. I'm actually from Divasburg. Oh, <laughs> love it. I didn't know there was a place called Divasburg. Yeah, me either. There is now. She's making it up. All right, MC, love it. So what, uh, So actually, technically, what part of Colorado are you actually from? I'm close to Boulder. Oh, okay. um, and, as you know, I don't know if you've been to Boulder, Colorado, but when I, I came out here many years ago, I had a temp job with Celestial Seasonings. Ah, okay. That's uh-huh. right. Well, they don't make Earl Grey, but that's okay. <laughs> well, they do, but they make a strong peppermint. And if you've ever been in the peppermint room, ah. they only open it up for tours because it's so strong. Wow. They have to keep it. Yeah. Every once in a while when I have a little stomach trouble or something, I'll take a little peppermint tea because that's good for your stomach. But, you know, my tea of choice is Earl Grey, as everybody knows. So, All right, MC. Exactly. So what are you calling about? What's up today for you? I'm calling about, you know, some of your ideas about practice. Mm-hmm. and your ideas about sustaining communication that has a purpose. You've talked a lot about, you know, giving kids enough input, you know, not, maybe not pushing the output so much, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of ideas out there about approaches and how to really sustain the input. And I think that is the taxing part. We can talk a lot about theory, but when you're teaching and you have a mix of 30 kids at different levels, it's hard to keep that input going such that they can really do something with that, you know, in a, in a situation. So some practical ideas for sustaining communication, whether it's reading or listening and speaking. And I know you've talked about, you know, the discord, discourse scrambles, and that's one idea. What would be some more um, ideas before you get too quickly into the practice that they don't quite have the input yet to practice? I don't know what you mean by practice. What do you mean by practice? And that's one of the questions is like, what is practice? I think a lot of people are um, throwing around on Twitter and, and, and so forth about what's practice? Because you had said earlier about practice doesn't get you as far as you think, as far as acquisition. I'm talking more of I model a sentence and you turn to a partner and you, you repeat the sentence, for example. Or right. Yeah, that would be practice. Yeah, you try to give directions, for example, to somebody. Turn to the left. That's then not practice. Go down. Yeah, and then you're practicing it with, well, literally the word in English is to practice it. Now we have the input. So it's kind of the model I do, we do, and then you do. It's, um, no, let me, you just, let me just tell you, let me clarify for everybody out there in case they have the same question, um, MC. Sure. And that's, practice to me means when you make students do things to try to learn that thing. 
in the sense mm-hmm. of make them say it, make them repeat it, make them drill it, make them fill in the blank, because you think that's how it's going to get in their heads. That's what I mean by practice. Now, mm-hmm. you, can, you can redefine practice if you want to be broader, but I think that's problematic because then nobody knows what practice means when you say it. So I try to keep all my definitions really restrictive and my constructs narrow so that when I use them, people know this is what he means when he says that. So what you're talking about in terms of giving people directions, you might call that practice and listening, but I don't call that practice. I just call that they're getting input on how to give directions and they're getting repeated input on how to do that Um, because there's some outcomes on that depending on how you do that, of course. Um, because there's ways to do that and ways not to do it, as you probably know. So, so I, I want to keep, um, keep practice very narrow in, in the way I talk about it personally uh, because that helps me see things more clearly. Um, again, it's, it's like, like when we had the, the, the episode on communication, communicative. Communicative has been one of those words that means anything it wants to anybody. And, and we just can't have that language teaching. We have to have everything clearly defined so when we use these terms... We know what they mean. So like when um, Frida was calling earlier about proficiency, I, I think of proficiency only in one way, as Actful talks about it. It has to, to me, it can't be any other kind of proficiency. Otherwise, we're talking past each other sometimes. So anyway, so to get back to you, practice to me means that one narrow kind of practice. Um, so I, um, I don't know what that means for what you were asking, but so keep asking what you're asking and then we'll, we'll get to where we're... Well, I, I think that's exactly you know, part of my question too is that the, the word practice is thrown around by the, you know, the larger community, like parents, students, other teachers. Right. If you can't learn language unless you practice it. Right, no. You can't, you know, and so we go through as practitioners of uh, language as um, giving kids translation activities, you know, go from English and translate into right. Spanish, right. conjugation um, types of things, and it's kind of been stuck in that word that the word practice means something more of the kids have to do most of the work. That's kind of what's going on in education now. Right, right. So they're, flipping, they're flipping that. And so I'm seeing some things um, in uh, second language acquisition such that it's kind of working against us when we say the students should be doing the bulk of the work in that teachers are not supposed to talk more than a couple of minutes and so they get dinged right. on the evaluation and, and, and stuff. So. Let me, let me interrupt you, MC, because this goes back to some things we said in previous episodes, or at least I've said them, and then some other callers have agreed and, and, uh-huh. and talked about them as well. And that is, one, language is not subject matter like other things. And the problem with taking educational models and applying them to language is that you then wind up using, you look at language as though it were subject matter. And it's not. At least not language acquisition is not subject matter. And so, I mean, unless you're talking about language acquisition. But language itself is not subject matter. It's, it's something you get in your heads. Um, and, and we all know that there's only one way to get that stuff in your heads in the sense of if you want language for some communicative ability down the road. So, so there's that. And the second thing that stems from that, too, is I, I said this before, and I'll say it again. We've got to stop calling ourselves language teachers. Using those terms... Sets, I mean, like a math teacher or a science teacher. Again, we're making it sound like language is subject matter. So we, by our own nomenclature and our own the way we talk about ourselves, feed into these ideas that you're, you're talking about this larger community has. And so we need to start thinking about what that, how we call ourselves or what we talk about, what we do, and also pushing different kinds of assessments. Um, and so... Um, I, and, I, you know, that's part of our job, unfortunately. We, you know, we have to change people's mentalities. 
Absolutely. And so that's where my, you know, question comes from. What are practical ideas for sustaining that communication when, you know, you have all these pressures for, you know, maybe teaching it as a subject matter or um, assessments that really look more like discrete grammatical right quizzes, yeah, you know, ex- exactly like how do you keep it how do you keep it going without making what you're saying is like the the fault right practice which is just having the kids repeat it or doing you need to have local really, experts come in it could be you it could be other people you know sometimes nobody's a prophet in his or her own land right so you got to get somebody from the outside to come and talk at the uh-huh. PTA meeting, at some district thing, where somebody comes in and talks about language acquisition, here's what we do, why we do it this way, and so on, and saying, you know what you need to do is, is let's look at how you do assessments and so on. You do a public talk. and Because I, I did this one time for um, a school district in Seattle. I, I was actor evaluating some programs. And then they asked me, would you give a talk to the PTA? I go, sure. So I did. I talked about language acquisition and communication. And it was eye-opening for, the, for a lot of the parents. I said, oh, this is interesting. Um, and so you need, you need to have that kind of conversation with those people and also with the students and, and say, we are going to change the way we measure our outcomes because we want our outcomes to be this and not that. And so, and here's why we're doing it. And that only happens through, through those kind of, and it's not going to happen overnight, obviously, as you know. Um, but that's the conversations you've got to have and that's the kind of things you've got to do. And you've got, you've got to push to change student evaluation, student assessment. Um, and and, and that, will, that will make people rethink what happens in the classrooms because if you're assessing this way and not that way, it'll make sense to people that's why you're doing what you're doing. So, for example, imagine like, taking a driving test. Why, you know, I mean, it makes sense to get behind a wheel and have somebody drive with you and say, turn right here, turn left there, and then check to see if you know how to step on the brake. You know, they're doing all that stuff, right? That has face validity because you're behind a wheel and you're driving the car. Imagine how that would be if you sat in a room with a driving tester with a pad and pencil and he looks at you or she looks at you and says, okay, you're coming to a stop sign. When do you stop, start braking? And you go, oh, about 100 feet before? And Well, it depends on how fast I'm going. And that's, you know, that's nice. It tells you you know about driving, but it's not until you take that driving test. I'm going to see if you can actually do it, right? And so it's those kind of conversations. You use analogies and say, you know, it's great that the brain surgeon really knows a lot about the brain, but can that guy or that woman take a scalpel and open your skull up? I want to know if that person can do that before my brain goes under the knife. And so those are the kind of conversations we need to have, and we need to say, look, language is like this too. It's not about language. It's language is, 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 a, is a, well, language is a thing in your head, but communication is a skill, and that's what we're aiming for. So... Um, I'm, I'm sorry, MC, I'm going to have to let you go because we've got more people trying to no call problem. and more things we're doing. But, but you're, you're, you're talking about a classic situation we all face, um, and you're fighting the big fight, the good fight, and, and you've got to just do it. And, so, um, and, you know, and sometimes you know, if you can't get people from the outside to come to you, there's always Skype. Let me know. Set up a Skype with your PTA meeting. I'll do a Skype with your PTA people. I'll do it for Sounds you. Sounds great. Yeah. Okay, now I'm going to get a million requests. Hold them to that. Now I'm going to get a million requests to do Skype things. But yeah, we can do that. (laughs) We can also, you know, yeah, we can do that sometimes. So, okay. All right, MC, have a great day. Thanks. Thanks for calling. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I'm jealous because she's out in Colorado, all those beautiful mountains and things. Mm -hmm. But she's talking about a very class. I mean, you know how many times I hear this? I feel so bad for teachers because they're like caught between a rock and a hard place like this, you know? And it really comes down to nobody is a prophet in their own land. and They need some outside forces to help them. Mm-hmm. push thinking along mm-hmm. so nope. anyway
Okie dokies. So where are we now? Um, did we have? Oh, we lost. We got questions we, for we you. We lost our call. So let's go ahead. And, yeah, let's go. You ask some questions. There we go. Because we'll wait for our next call. Okay, we got some questions online or where? Yeah. Are um, you going to speed date me like on, you did last time? I don't think we have time for that because we still have callers coming in. So okay. we'll just do two quick questions here. Okay. Um, one off of Mixler. I'm probably mispronouncing this as well. Maybe I will put the stress on the wrong syllable again. El profito. Hmm? Does that sound El good? Profito. Uh, oh, seriously? No, but it's okay. Oh, man. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> anyway, this person Not is... Not a profeta? <laughs> um, der Professor fragt. Okay. BVP, how do you feel about the integrated performance assessment and its emphasis on authentic texts and its forced output in the interpersonal and presentational modes? I think those are fine if you're at that level where you could do those things, but I don't think they should be forced at the lower levels where you're still trying to get language, still trying to get the skill. I, 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 IPA for lower levels would look like one thing, and an IPA for another level would look like another, just like the proficiency skills do. So um, I think IPAs really should be long, I mean, those kind of IPAs this person's talking about, I think should be long range things, like like a major in Spanish or someone who's 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 you know AP going in you know what what is their AP going to look like? but not some of the beginning levels it doesn't mm. make any sense to do that that that's my response to that so great okay I've got one here it says hit me this is from hit Andrew. me with your best shot fire away <laughs> go ahead okay it's from Andrew in email land Andrew in email land what is the role of dictation in the second language classroom and what is the or is there a proper way to execute it if the language in the dictation is comprehensible at its core it is at least more repetition of the language, but does it help to develop the acquisition of the inflectional morphemes that language teachers tend to care so much about? Okay, dictation has nothing to do with language acquisition or language learning. Let's remember how dictations, what their original purpose is, and how this is one of those things where people have, forget what their original purpose was. Dictation exercises got started in languages like French and English, particularly French. That's why French love the dicté because they're all about spelling and checking learners' spelling, because dictates got important in language teaching, in second language teaching, because are, they are used in elementary schools in France for spelling. Um, and so um, they're not input activities. They're not useful for anything at all. They're, they are ways to check on, because you can actually listen and not know what you're listening to, right? So Walter, Angelica, get out a piece of paper. I mean, don't really. I mean, I could just say a bunch of nonsense words to you right now, and you could try to write those words down and come close to them and not have any idea what I'm saying, right? Mm. So it's not necessarily input, because input is about comprehending language in some kind of communicative context, and dictations are not communicative. They really, their origins are about checking spelling. Can I tell a story? Yeah. Uh, sure, tell When I was studying in France, I got really irritated because on a test there was a dicte, and I got every single last thing right except for the name that was used was Gérald, and I put Gérard with an R, and they were talking <laughs> about Gérald with an L. And I thought, well, well, Gérard sounds more like a French name to me than Gérald. Ugh, Angelica, so look upset. at him. He's, he's been carrying this around yeah, for no years. Kidding. Look at his face. For years and years. I'm, I'm, I'm glad this is coming out. He's yes. red in the face. Yeah. I'm like, you know, you need a chill today. pill, kiddo. Look at you. <laughs> Let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. Let it go, let it go. <laughs> oh, no, here no, we no, go again. Right. We sing that a lot, don't we? Yeah. 
All right. Um, okay, so those those are two questions. Oh, we got a f- somebody calling in. It looks like we have a phone call for the SLA challenge. Is that correct? Is there Sarah Hello. Sarah on the line? Yes. Hi. Hey, Sarah, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Louisville, am I saying it right? Louisville? Well, when you get here, uh, the airport will tell you there's about eight different ways to pronounce it, but it definitely does not have an S sound in it. Exactly. <laughs> it's like New Orleans. Is it New Orleans or New Orleans or, you know, that kind of thing. So, right. And that's like, I'm from, I'm from San Francisco, and it's real interesting is when you can tell people who aren't from there, the way they say it, or when they try to say San Fran, which we would never say where I'm from. But anyway, so. Right. Uh, so I'm, I, I'm sensitive to that thing, so that's why I was trying to pronounce it correctly for you, Sarah. Well, thank, thank you for calling you, in, Sarah. Right. My understanding is that you're going to take the SLA Challenge Quiz. Yes, I do have a question I'd like to ask first, though. Ah, uh, another one who wants a lot for five <laughs> bucks. Okay, Sarah, go ahead. Go well, ahead. actually, I recalled to ask a question, and I kind of got roped into the SLA quiz. Oh. Well, I didn't, I didn't really get roped in. She Good going, Emma. Good going, Emma. <laughs> okay, Sarah, what's your question? <laughs> okay, so a couple of your previous callers and I, uh, Justin and AJ, we're working on a new video cast on um, SLA and its application in the classroom, and we're calling it Throwback Thursday with an SLA on the end, ha-ha. <laughs> and um, I'm doing this segment on Salinker and Interlanguage. Mm-hmm. And so I've been reading that article and trying to digest it lately. And so I have a, before I say something, I'd like to get your opinion on it. Um, he's very careful to talk about how he distinguishes from a teaching perspective and a learning perspective. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't seem to be writing the article with a teacher perspective in mind at all. Like no. it's not directed to teachers no. at all. No. And so in thinking about how it changed the face of SLA and how I can communicate what it means to teachers, um, I think what I stumbled on at the end was, would it be accurate to say that the concept of interlanguage is really what, um, I don't know, started, but cemented the idea that when we're teaching in the classroom, that it's unrealistic for us to think that or to have native-like speech as our expectation. You know, he talks about like the 5% that have activated that mysterious structure he proposes. But then basically, he seems to be saying like 95% of people who are going through second language acquisition will never attain native-like right. speech. So is it accurate to say that that was what kind of gave us the, the thought that we shouldn't expect that in class? Um, I think I think actually it's just people's experience that gives us that idea. You shouldn't expect native-like ability in language learning. Um, and he just put a name on it. But I mean, I think people's experience just says that. Um, but a way you can couch that, Sarah, in what you're talking about is that the concept of inner language and one general idea you can pull from that article for people that helps them is that a fundamental premise of Larry Selinker and what he talks about is that you, is that languages aren't learned through imitation or copying, or by learning rules, that each and every language learner creates and recreates language in the head based on what they're exposed to. And so that's why it's called interlanguage, because it's it's something that that is not the first language, something that's not the second language, it's, it's something, we call it now just non-native language, or we call it a learner grammar, or whatever we call it, a second language developing system. We have different kinds of words for it. Um, and he's just basically saying, learners like children recreate linguistic systems in their head over time. Uh, 
And then he tried to delineate what the factors are that affect how they recreate linguistic systems. Um, and so I think that's a main thrust of that that you could pull out and use with people and say that no matter of teaching, no matter of making them do this, no matter it's going to change those factors and how that how that stuff is going to work in their heads. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. And thank you for uh, helping clarify the pronunciation of the name, so I don't embarrass myself misdoing mis that. Oh <laughs> no, I wasn't trying to correct you. I was just I know like, I was just saying his name because I know him. And I was like I was name dropping. Oh, no, that I was name dropping is what I was doing. <laughs> Um, when I when I had did a woman from Bernier, I looked up YouTube videos on how to pronounce <laughs> Zoltan Bernier. Exactly. That's a tough one, let me tell you. Okay, we yeah. got to launch into this because our, my clock is ticking here in the studio. All right, okay, you go. ready for question number one? These are all easy-peasy questions. You ready for this? Oh, great. Now if she okay, gets them wrong, she feels easy. bad. No, okay. <laughs> you don't ever tell a student that it's easy. Yes, you do. No. Yes, you do. <laughs> At any rate, <laughs> question number one. Question number one is, okay, let's go. which of the following qualifies as input for language acquisition? A, telling your class in the second language that you have really bad allergies and have to take two different kinds of medications. Okay. B, explaining to your students in the second language that they'd better pay attention because there's going to be a quiz tomorrow. Okay. C, Complaining to your students in the second language that you don't like your job and you're going to leave at the end of the term. <laughs> or D, all of the above. D. Say what? Can, can was you it B as in boy or D as in dog? Okay. Which was B in the target language? Yeah, explaining to your students in the second language that they'd better pay attention because there's going to be a quiz tomorrow. Okay, yeah, D. D, all of the correct. Ding, 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 Yay! ding, ding. See, I told you. Because all those, in all those cases, what you're doing is using the second language to convey information. The student's job is to comprehend what you're saying, right? To get the message. Right. That's input. Good for you. Excellent. Okay, number two. Which of the following constrain language acquisition internally to the learner? Okay. A, universal grammar. B, the social setting. C, the writing system. D, access to the internet. A. A, universal grammar, right? Ding, 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 Yay. ding. Yay. Wow. Yeah. I'm telling you. Okay. Yay. She got her coasters. Let's see if she's going to go for the big tote bag now. You ready for that? Because okay. we're going to send you. Right. Okay. So you got your coasters. Now this is for the tote bag with the coasters inside. Okay. okay. Number three, which of the following languages is more difficult to acquire for the English speaker? A, Chinese. B, Russian. C, Arabic. D, they're all equal in terms of relative ease and difficulty. Oh, I am going to... Oh, I don't know this well. You didn't listen to our show about this, did you? These are all review questions. Oh. All of these things... Aha, <laughs> uh -huh, see? These are all questions from different shows we've had. Review questions. Yeah, I think, I think my kids were yelling at me during that one. Um, I'm going to go with B. Let me read it to you again. Okay, so which of the following languages is more difficult to acquire for the English speaker? A, Chinese, B, Russian, C, Arabic, D, they're all equal in terms of relative ease and difficulty. Okay, well, all the, all the voices on Mixler think it's D, so I'll go with my, my lifeline there. There you go. Ding, 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 ding. Good for your Mixler yeah. lifeline. Absolutely. That We had a show about that where no language is more difficult than another for no matter what your L1 is. What makes languages more difficult for students is when we make them more difficult the way we teach them 
And also sometimes writing systems get in the way because you spend time. People think that learning the writing system is learning the language. It's not. That's an art. I remember writing is an artifact. But the actual right, right. languages themselves. And I thought I remembered yeah. seeing like infographics on how many hours it takes to right. speak particular languages and right. stuff like that. But. Exactly. So, and that has to do with writing systems and stuff. But actual learning, getting a language in your head, the way we talk about acquisition, all the three languages would be the same for, for whether you're okay. English speaker, Spanish speaker, or anything else. Okay. Well, good for you. Okay, Sarah. Then um, uh, she's uh, you're good for you. Don't have to stay on the line because Emma's got all your information. You'll be getting a present from us in the mail. Congratulations. Hey, go Sarah. Okay. All right. Thanks for calling, Bye. Sarah. Bye. Have a Bye. Good Bye. They're in Louisville. I don't know if I said it right, but still Louisville. Okay. All right. Oh my gosh! Look at that. It's already three fifty-six. We got to start know. wrapping up. Crazy. Do we have time for one more question? Or? If it's really short, Walter, like one minute. Can you give me a one-minute question? I think so. Okay. Ready. This one's criticizing us, Bill. So That's okay. Okay, you ready? Don't narrowly define can-do statements such as the kind you describe in your clear article, force a teacher to teach function functionally. Not to beat on this MSU Spanish program, it's just a good example of where good intentions tend to go wrong when writing language acquisition curricula. No, because the, the implication is that somehow we're teaching the can-do statements. No, we use the can-do statements as a measurement after a long unit to see if they can do something after they've been exposed to lots of language. No, it's a measurement. It's not. It's not something we're teaching toward. Yes, yeah, Steve. So there you go. Just <laughs> <laughs> seriously, what's up with you today? So but much I understand, anger. But I know it's those dang DJ. <laughs> yeah, it is. DJ got him all hot Poor about it. But no, seriously, let me just back up for a minute. Seriously, that's a really good question. I, I totally get it. The whole idea of washback and people teaching toward tests, but we don't use can-do statements as tests. They're just basically in-class self-evaluations, and we've been doing all this work on schedules and talking about ourselves over time. Now can you do this? And it's, it's, that's how we do them. So, But, yeah, there's a danger in teaching toward. I know what he's talking about, but we don't do that here. Okay, well, great. That was good. We had fun. God, I can't even. I had lots of callers. Wow. Was so great. many. Good for Sarah that Flew she got by. all those questions. Sarah got all the questions right. Yeah. Thanks to our Mixler Lifeline. She did really well. But I think she would have got that anyway. Um, God, we but had she didn't even need mixed line. I know, and right? even the president. Of, uh, first question: the president of ACFL called. My gosh, I know. I wonder if Barack Obama will call sometime. The president Ooh, of wouldn't States. that be <laughs> something? Cool. Yeah. All right, all right. Well, we're gonna start wrapping up here, kids. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad we had this time together. 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 Didn't you love Carol Burnett? I loved Carol Burnett. Let it I sound like she's. I talk like she's dead, but she's not. All right. Well, we're moving along, man. Our show is getting followers. We've got more people signing up. So remember to get your students and friends to sign up. Go to teawithbvb.com and have them get our weekly newsletter. We need those numbers up because we're trying to prove something to our university and our dean. So make sure you get people to sign up. Uh, we want to thank our technical producer, Daniel Trago, who's wearing a hat over his head today because it's cold outside. <laughs> Um, our media producer, Luca Giappone, who's out today. He's at, a, he's at the T-Cell conference, but he still works behind the scenes. The talented and trusted intern, Erin Dunn, who's handling your phone calls today. Aaron. What's her name? Excuse me? What did I say? Erin. Did I say Erin? Emma. Oh, wow. You know, that's because I saw my student, Erin, before I got here. Emma. Two students, Erin, I have. So Emma Dunn. I'm sorry, Emma. I'm sorry. I'm having an Alice moment. Give me a break here. Don't interrupt me because the, the clock is ticking. Oh, sorry. So... She's our most excellent intern, Emma Dunn. And her sidekick, Dustin DeVelise, who has trained her on those phones. And Dustin is just doing a great job back there helping out in general. Um, also, <laughs> our produ assistant production manager, Jeff Maloney. Sing it. My Maloney has a first name. 
It's J-E-F-F-Y. Okay. And we'd I'll like to dance. thank the Center for Language Teaching Advancement, a.k.a. CELTO, the College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University. And as a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the Center for Language Teaching Advancement, the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of the Michigan State University. And of course, we always thank our callers and you listeners out there. Without you, there's no show. Next week, we are back to Principles of Language Teaching with principle number four, dealing with teachers as input providers in language classes. Classes. What do you think about that, you guys? So we expect lots of college for that topic. Until then, have a great weekend. Have a great next week. And happy language acquisition to all. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Auf Wiederhören.